Well, you've tried it all and it's not getting better, right? You don't sleep well, which makes you irritable, on edge all day. And then there are the other days when you're just down, nothing feels right. It's not your fault. There's a lot of that going around. If you're into natural alternatives, you're going to love this. CB Distillery, America's trusted source for CBD products, created a breakthrough compound. It is called CBN. And when combined with CBD, it interacts with our regulatory system responsible for sleep, emotional response, discomfort, perception, inflammation, even memory. Bottom line, this is the natural path to better sleep, a calm mind and body managing discomfort after physical activity and with over two million customers a money-back guarantee and no prescription required cb distillery it's the source we trust visit cbdistillery.com enter the code stephanie for a huge introductory discount again that code is stephanie at cbdistillery.com we use it all here at the stephanie miller show the gummies the soft gels the tincture and i use that salve on my sore muscles we love it you will too cbdistillery.com don't forget type in stephanie not available in idaho iowa or south dakota Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. This is Kimberly Johnson, half vaccinated in D.C. Today, my guest is political scientist and election analyst, Rachel Bettikoffer. I'm so excited to have her on. But before we get into it, I do want to remind people I am not going to have any shows next week. I am officially off. On May 10th, 12th, and 17th, I'll be posting pre-recorded shows, and then after that, everything will be back to normal, so I just wanted to get you all up to date with what's going on. I always try to keep these intros short. I do have a tier on Patreon that allows listeners to listen ad-free and with a much shorter intro, so stay tuned for that. But the Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast supported by listeners, and it's woman-run. It's patrons who keep this show going, and thank you to everyone who supports the show. I'm so grateful. And if you do enjoy today's show, take a look at the About page. Check out some of my past guests. You'll see that most of the time I have conversations about politics, although occasionally I do interview actors about their craft because I used to be one. Just visit patreon.com slash start me up. I do two free shows a week every Monday and Wednesday, and then they are followed by patrons only shows called What's Up with me, Kimberly Johnson. Talk about different things. Some I call it my online diary. I just talk about whatever's on my mind that day. And then once a month, at least I do a patrons only show with a guest. Now, if you sign up for the everything tier, you get everything I just mentioned. Plus, you get the ad-free and much shorter intro show. Again, that's at patreon.com slash startmeup. You can also make a one-time donation by checking out the text in the Patreon description. I always include my email, and you can use that with PayPal. You can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Just stop by the iTunes app, the Apple Podcast Store, and become a subscriber because it's free. And while you're there, if you like the show, please leave a rating and a good review. I would really appreciate it, and thank you to everybody who has. And now, please enjoy my conversation with Rachel Bittekoffer. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited that you're on my show. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, well, it's always my pleasure. I, I love, you know, I just, I can't get enough talking about politics though. <laughs> yeah, I know. It seems to be the way, doesn't it? Um, well, first yeah. of all, I just want to say that in, I think it was in early 2020, my mother told me about this woman and she was an election analyst who saw a path for Democrats. And obviously it was you. And I was so excited about the way you like came to your, um, I don't even know what you would call it, prediction or whatever it was that you thought Democrats would have a chance of winning. And I kind of want you to just explain, because it's different that, than what we've seen with other pollsters. And so I want you to kind of just like go over what you were looking at in order to believe that Democrats, especially the president, you know, in the presidential race that we could win. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to do that. And it's really important, too, to distinguish that, you know, I was predicting that 16 months before the election, right? you know, um, before the pandemic came and took Trump's economy away. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, you know, I, I had said in an update that I put out on the forecast in March of 2020, which is, of course, when the world was shutting down, mm-hmm. I said, you know, it's, it's difficult to anticipate what's going to happen here, but it looks like we're going to shut down all of the world's economies. So that's obviously going to level the economy. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. And it, and we also know Donald Trump is an incompetent b- baboon. Right. <laughs> so like we know, like this is not going to get managed well. Mm-hmm. Right? We can just yeah. take that to the bank. Right? <laughs> and then I said, But here's the thing, guys, I bet it won't move public approval of him at all because we have a like a 
in our country, we have this problem that underlies everything, and it's not a buzzword, right? Mm -hmm. So people talk about polarization and, um, you know, pretty flippantly, but it, it is a quantifiable, mm -hmm. measurable construct, and, it ma and it's manifesting in um, all of our institutions, all of our elites, our, our voters. So, it, and it matters. It causes, mm -hmm. like, significant change, and one of the ways – that it matters a lot is if you think about Donald Trump's approval ratings through his tenure mm -hmm. and all of the scandals that he did and then the mismanagement of the pandemic, his approval was pretty much inelastic, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's because 90% of Republicans never stop telling pollsters they love this guy no matter how crappy of a job he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that I had said – you know, I think that that this will have no impact yeah. on the race. Right. Hmm. And so, like, you know, if you were to talk to someone else, anyone else. Right. They'd say, oh, well, Trump was in a good position to win reelection until this pandemic and economic collapse happened. Mm -hmm. But to, when you talk yeah, to I've me, said that. I've said I that. <laughs> I'm here to tell you the exact same thing would have happened. Right. Because right. we think about like very few um, Republican. I mean, it's not like um, Biden won because of this giant surge of, of Republicans voting for him, though he did carry independence, yeah. right? Um, pure independence, that small segment of the election that don't lean to one party or the other. Yeah. Um, but I had already forecasted that he would because of the negativity of the Trump administration. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so we really are looking at is this massive turnouts that we get mm -hmm. in um, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and Detroit and Milwaukee. And what's really fantastic now is I'm having the benefit of this conversation is um, it, it's coming just on the heels of a really well done political science analysis of this question is it turnout is it conversion mm -hmm. um and it was done by one of the best political scientists in in our field and he he didn't survey data he used precinct level data to show actually there is both right both things matter as i've always argued i've never argued that there isn't a swing vote right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh unfortunately uh Politico, right, uh, you know, right, right. <laughs> aside, right, yeah. <laughs> but I, but that equally important is this this turnout swing, right? And that's of partisans and also of independents that lean, um, and even pure independents. And this analysis actually not only finds that it's both things and it's the first study to quantify the turnout component, but it also shows that conversion was more important for Republican for for Trump vote share. But that uh, turnout mattered more for Democrats. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. It's really, really uh, nice to see, like, on the back end, you know, some additional quantitative proof yeah. that, you know, what matters is that coalitional turnout. And that's how I knew. I mean, I, I argued that it would be it was inflamed, obviously, from the moment that Trump got elected. Um, my forecast has its roots in uh, Virginia's 2017 cycle when mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is not going to be like the other Virginia gubernatorial races. <laughs> this is going to be a blowout, you know? Yeah. And, and like, I, I, even I could not have anticipated 15 seats in the House of I know. flipping. But once I saw yeah, that, right. I knew, oh, well, they're not going to, in 2018, they're going to clean up. It's going to be like a 40 seat wave. You wow. know? Yeah. And that's, of course, what happened. Right. So, wow. Yeah. So interesting. So, okay, now I'm a little freaked out over the new census, and I know that five out of the seven new house seats go, go to the red states. So I'm just curious what you think about this, because I, I saw Eric Holder was talking to Chris Hayes the other night, and he, he was talking about a number of things that they're planning to do that they might have to um, – you know what? I, I can't even remember what he said, but from what I gauge from this, that we do need this new voting bill, which is what is it? H.R. one or something like that. Um, is it H? I think it's H.R. one. Uh, what do you see coming from this? Like, are you freaked out by this or do you? And I mean, I ask because I know that you're at least a Democrat. I don't know that. I don't I think you're a Democrat. But um, what do you take from this new census thing and that all these new red states are getting? new house seats yeah i mean and now that i'm um you know i've um um left the pure research world and moved into building a 
war machine for the left to stop losing winnable elections after the yeah. wretched down ballot performance in in November of 2020. Yeah, uh, I guess I can. I, you know, I'm pretty clearly a Democrat, right? Okay, uh, right. So, <laughs> so I'll just put that out there. And I certainly wouldn't. I figured you were, but you know, <laughs> be absolutely like, the worst thing is you know I was on the senior uh, advisory board for Lincoln Project, which is just a right. advisory role. You don't involve yourself in the operations the Lincoln mm-hmm. Project, but you know, um, one of the most horrible parts of that job is how many people thought I was a Republican, you know? Right. <laughs> I don't care if you, if you think I'm stupid, if you think I'm bad at data, Just uh, an idiot, but boy, don't confuse me for a modern Republican, please, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, no, I'm really glad you mentioned this because I didn't catch the Holder interview. I'll go try to find out what he said because unless he said, I mean, here's what I've been saying on Twitter. I've been saying two things. Number one, like and then Pluff, David Pluff is, yeah. is echoing this too. It is a matter of survival to mm. pass SB one, right? SB, okay, <laughs> and, right. And you don't even need it all because a lot there's a lot of I, I don't know if I can use the word shit on your podcast. you can you can so say anything you want in there right? um, <laughs> i but, say fuck you know, all the time <laughs> if, if it's a matter of getting mansion on board and getting it through some like you know i don't know some reconciliation which there's so many yeah loop, there's never gonna get you're never gonna get 10 cent senate votes from the republicans mm-hmm. nine right mm-hmm. you're not gonna do it <laughs> so yeah. it, it's it's like okay we need that bill to pass mm-hmm. and redistricting reform in particular mm-hmm. out of it to mm-hmm. pass right or our only other hope for survival is to gerrymander the hell out of every state that we control. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm updating my modeling right now for 2020 because it took a long time to get the House um, level results mm-hmm. for each candidate. But anyway, um, I'm looking at these districts right now and I'm like, oh, yeah, no, there's so much wasted. Like, um, you know, when when, redist- when when the civil rights era happened and redistricting like the the battles for redistricting played out like like something was created for to help uh, minorities gain representation it's called a majority minority district right Mm -hmm. and that the thought back then was well you need to really have a huge minority population in a district in order for it to elect somebody of color okay Mm -hmm. um and you know i think that's it's true right you still need uh, and want to maintain some really heavy minority population districts, but actually you don't need, I mean, some of these majority minority districts are way over 50%, right? Yeah. Um, and there's a wasted vote. And, and so now it's a matter of survival, right? If you can't, you can't pass SB1 and you can't, mm-hmm. then you have two choices, right? You do whatever Holder probably suggested, which is not going to be sufficient mm-hmm. because it's not that they're going to gain five seats. Like in Texas, they picked up two seats, right? right? But the right. whole state gets redistricted yeah. and they're going to go for four, yeah. right? So right. like they are going to do everything in their power. Yeah. They have eight seats holding them back from securing for sure the House majority without a single contest in 2022. Wow. And they're going to go for all eight of them, right? Yeah. And you know that. I mean, that's just a – I mean, I to say we should go to war with the army we have in the reality we live in. So right. that's the reality we live in, and we have two choices. We can let them do it mm-hmm. and lose the House. Or we could find a way to offset offset those seat gains, and the mm-hmm. only way to do it is to look at California, New mm-hmm. Jersey, um, New York. They have Massachusetts, Maryland. They don't have much in there, but they mm-hmm. have districts that are left that are going to the GOP hmm. that they could redraw out, right? Wow, and interesting. It, it, okay. And I think like our only option is yeah. this dual redistricting gerrymander. You know, either threatening to do it or doing it for you know the time period that we need yeah. to put the republican party down dude <laughs> wow you know so that's i mean that's and that and that's coming from somebody by the way who fervently believes districts should be drawn to maximize competition yes. between the two parties yeah, right yeah i agree so you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's something that if they're going to do this and they're going to play dirty we have to figure out how to match that i mean i hate to say to play dirty but if they're gonna if they're gonna do it we need to do it and absolutely yeah and it just sucks. we're talking about the survival exactly of democracy yes right yes so like we cannot afford to be morally superior here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we tend to do and i'm just curious what do you think as far as just your gut um 
how this is going to go. I mean, do, do you have a gut feeling? I know you've got this analytical mind and you're looking at numbers and all that, but I mean, just as a human being, do you feel that uh, we're in really bad shape or do you feel hopeful? I mean, if I was in charge of everything and I could perform this thing that I just laid out for mm -hmm. you, that's our only hope of survival, right. I would feel better, right? Right. But uh, I mean, if you want to, if you are asking somebody who, who, who quit a research <laughs> track to go build a super PAC, to, to run it as a nonprofit, to develop a war machine, to come up and, and grow an infrastructure that will run parallel to what the Democratic Party runs in terms of of its electioneering because they don't do it right from mm -hmm. like the very roots of that. Right. I mean, that, yeah. it's not like up in the branches where Democrats are getting electioneering wrong. It's at the, it's at the root and soil of the whole operation. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so, I guess what you would say is bearish about their capabilities mm -hmm. that I, um, you know, wh what I would say is there's no way California Democrats or, you know, uh, New York Democrats, I I'll be shocked if they have the nuts to use a dual redistricting to offset these seat gains. Wow. And so you have to assume that we're not going to do that, right? right. <laughs> and that we're going to come in, you know, to 2022 already drawn out of this majority, oh which God. is to me, it's an unacceptable yeah, outcome. It right? is. Yeah. Well, so what do you think? What do you I'll think? Push of, as hard as I can. What do you think of uh, Joe Biden's uh, performance so far in this first 100 days? I think Biden's killing it, you know? I mean, if, if we had a normal electorate and, um, you know, it was the 1990s or back, yeah, yeah. like, it, he would be way up in the 60s on approval, right? Right, right, right. And, uh, you know, he would have won the Electoral College against uh, an incompetent, corrupt, mm -hmm. you know, disgusting individual who had just murdered 500,000 people yeah. through negligence, right? Um, you know, in, in a non-polarized, hyper-partisanship elect electorate, you would have been looking at a 1980s, 1984 Reagan-Mondale, Reagan-Dukakis map, right? Yeah, yeah. And our electorate's not capable of producing that anymore because of polarization and party sorting where liberals are all in one party and conservatives mm -hmm. are in the other, which is a major mechanism of that polarization aspect. Mm -hmm. But particularly because of hyper-partisanship, which is, is, by the way, more pronounced within that Republican coalition. So, right. like, at the end of the day... You can have Biden pulling in a fair chunk of this independent, like, hey, I like what he's doing in COVID. I like what he's done with the taxing the rich and sending the money down to infrastructure, right? But a lot of those folks, at the end of the day, won't vote for Biden, right, mm -hmm. in 2024, because mm -hmm. their partisanship will override his performance. And so you can't take that shit to the bank right you yeah. can't say oh we're going to be fine in 2022 so long as biden's plus 50 percent on approval mm -hmm. because ultimately in 2022 it's a midterm election cycle yeah you know we had historic turnout because mm -hmm. of donald trump inflaming the left and the left i mean i'm talking about the whole coalition which includes those independent leaners mm -hmm. in 2018 and we hit 53% turnout right I know, yeah. which is like 8 points higher than my ambitious turnout prediction was right <laughs> so um you know will we hit that in 2022 yeah. i doubt it right yeah. because um we know the gop is going to turn out because mm -hmm. they turned out even when they controlled everything yeah. their turnout went up because they're treated with this constant negative partisanship like intravenous drip, right? Mm -hmm. And on the left, we know that the democratic electioneering, you know, apparatus from from the beginning to the end to the party structure, you know, the campaigns, the candidates, the party committees, and all of the existing like super PAC and outside groups don't run the kind of messaging that you need to inflame turnout when you're when you don't have a natural catalyst. So yeah. like that's what I'm trying to build, right? Mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. And I don't know. I mean, we're really talking about strong fundamental, right? Yeah. Um, you know, this midterm loss problem. And it's driven especially by surge and decline of our side of the coalition mm -hmm. because we're the we're the side that's not electioneering right. Oh, um, <laughs> is, <laughs> is the, and I'm trying, you know, I, I'm often known as, uh, the crack of doom as my mom likes to call me. So it's like, I take in this information and I try not to get f completely freaked out. But, um, do you think there's anything Biden can do as far as, I mean, we've got the census information and everything that you just said about what that could mean. 
and and how like California and New York might be able to totally gerrymander the shit out of their state. But outside of that, is there anything Biden can do? You know, Biden's doing pretty good at what like he can do and is able and, and, and within a within the realm of like possibility right yeah <laughs> and and like the best thing that he's doing is going big and bold yeah. right and he is right. like red meeting the hell out of the electorate right now and it's not red meat for partisans right it's red meat for everybody yeah. who's not an elected official of the republican party <laughs> right? pretty much right yeah. um you know we see these um you know tax the rich and redistribute the money down to the middle class and, and working class of america Th- that stuff is all polling huge right it's in the 60s uh for once you're seeing Democrats lean into their to their in what I would call advantage on the economy. I think the Reagan paradigm is has now shown, like you know, de- demonstrably shown that it does not work. It's got mm-hmm. a forty-year track record of apocalyptic, you know, uh, decimation not only of the American middle class because the number one middle class in the world now is not in America. Yeah. Okay, it's in Canada. Wow. We can see it from our front porch, <laughs> right? And that is a product of Reaganomics, yeah. right? Our infrastructure, our education system, mm-hmm. K through 12, you name it, unless it's plastic surgery, we're no longer number one in the <laughs> oh, world. God. And that ain't yeah. the great society that did that shit. It yeah. is Reaganomics that came and decimated, yep. right? So like, you know, a big part of the story is getting that ownership of economic supremacy, you have to cure that out of the electorate. And there yeah. are people who are figuring it out, but you know, brand, brand-centric ownership of stuff is really powerful. I mean, still to this day, yeah. if you were to ask the electorate, who's better on the economy, they'll say Republicans, mm-hmm. though the advantage mm-hmm. is smaller than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with foreign policy, and that's after fucking up two wars, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and and trying to destroy NATO for four years, right? <laughs> and countering the Russians, right? Yeah. So, like, um, you know, but that's because most people are not listening to this podcast. If you're listening to this <laughs> podcast actually you're a one percenter okay? right. you're a one right. information one percenter um you know and then in terms of like all the public that tunes in to details we're really talking 30 percent of all america all americans who understand the complexities and follow the issues the mm-hmm. other 70 percent is all emotive right yeah. it's all imagistic and and there's a ton right. of latino vote that we're bleeding mm-hmm. based on this perception that the democrats are socialist because we've been branded mm-hmm. very effectively mm-hmm. though you know we with no answer from uh, from our side of of like a response branding right which is yeah. one of the strike tax initiatives um hmm. but you know the, the the you know if you ask a latino in 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 miami right now they're like, oh, isn't that a party full of socialists? Right, <laughs> right, right. That's all they know, right? And so you have to shape reality for voters, and and we're not doing that well. So Biden, in, in other, to sum it up, um, he's handing like what you need, the clay you need to work mm-hmm, with, mm-hmm. but getting it executed right. is a whole different ballgame. Yeah, I mean, I started at the beginning of the year. I was tweeting out, and I'm sure I'll continue to do this. And it was actually met with favorable response on Twitter. Um, basically just posting about, you know, bragging about Democratic accomplishments and saying the Democratic Party is the American Party. And, I mean, I I consider myself a progressive, but I'm like an Elizabeth Warren kind of a progressive. And I feel like I, um, you know, I recognize that we have to share this country with other people and we can't get everything we want as soon as we want it. It's not that I don't see flaws in the Democratic Party, because I do. And I have absolutely called out the Democratic Party before, when I thought they were making mistakes and I continue to do it. But comparatively, you know, we've got this this autocratic fascist party that is hell-bent on destroying American democracy, and then we've got the Democrats. And so yeah, it's really not time for nitpicking. Exactly. <laughs> and and so I would like to see and so I thought, you know, oftentimes when people, let's say, talk about climate change or write about climate change, that's ignored because it's it is the uncomfortable truth that nobody wants to deal with. And when it, but you know, this, when I would post about uh, how the Democrats gave us social security and, and all this, you know, all the things that they like, for instance, that speech that was on the West Wing that, you know, uh, talking about the difference of liberals that Lawrence O'Donnell wrote uh, compared to Republicans. We got all kinds of stuff from Democrats and Democrats don't brag about it. And I always complain that in 2014, the midterm elections, Democrats did a terrible job 
because they just did not. They didn't sell Obama or his accomplishments. They didn't sell the ACA. And total mistake. It was strategically like, you know, this is back like way back before I ever thought I'd actually have a a platform to to bitch and moan. (laughs) 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 Super back. Right. Um, But like, you know, when I was teaching campaign politics in that year, I said they're doing this exactly exactly wrong yes and let me like i I always taught that class as a juxtaposition right so like here are two parties they have a ton of differences and i'm not going to get into all the various asymmetrics uh, asymmetric attributes of these parties but one of the most important one is how they campaign an election Mm -hmm. year right Mm -hmm. and it's strategically different the messaging's different everything's different but like you know you can see like in 2014 like you you i don't understand why why, like the consultant class thinks like okay i can distance blanche lincoln in arkansas away from the main national brand right? yeah <laughs> like, bullshit dude it's not 1990 <laughs> right yeah and, and so like your only move if you were in the democratic party in 2010 especially you know 2010 was the first cardinal sin then 2014 yes, they right. doubled down in yes. it. and and and, and it, 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 okay maybe you make that mistake in 2010 because mm-hmm. you're slow to adapt to polarization and nationalization mm-hmm. and all these things that are happening to change how elections used to work. But by 2014, yeah. it is clear that you should be running towards Obama. Right. You need to be talking about how great he is, how wonderful Obamacare is. Yeah. Uh, you know, it brought 28 million people health care. You send your candidates out with these, you know, packaged defenses, not defenses, because uh, it shouldn't even sound defensive. Right, 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 right. right. It, it should sound like, you know, bullshit. Uh, yeah, hell yeah, I'm running on Obamacare. Yeah. Let me tell you why. <laughs> right, yeah, like proud, I mean, be proud about Obamacare it. Obamacare had little issues, but dude, I mean, it. I mean, if anybody who is listening to this that's uh, older of a certain age, then they'll know what those health questionnaires were right. like to get insurance. If you didn't go through an mm-hmm. employer, mm-hmm. you could not get health insurance unless you were skinny, you had nothing, never had a health problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? like, yeah, my mother because- had that. Yeah, she was... At the time, I think she was in her 60s, and because she had a couple of different small things, they were considered, uh, what is it, that, that pre-existing. Pre-existing and, conditions. Yeah, pre-existing. And, and like, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you didn't mention that you had scarlet fever when you were 14, yeah. and then 30 years later, and you're <laughs> right, you exactly. and like, <laughs> then they could deny your coverage, dude. Yeah. So like, I mean, it was a freaking hot mess okay? it was it was terrible and, and they should have been out there on that pre-existing conditions difference and on the overall coverage i mean 20 something million people get insurance and they're embarrassed to exactly exactly <laughs> oh my god it's just so frustrating <laughs> that they didn't do that and i'm hoping you know i mean because when i was posting like i said just me and my little account posting okay the democrats did this and you know it was like a real raw raw democratic thing and a lot of people liked it you know and 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 you can steal my our hashtag because like we want everyone to use our stuff right what is your hashtag repetition and um you know singular messaging is so important so like when i make something for strike pack i'm like oh dude you can use it (laughs) (laughs) and the the hashtag for that shit is democrats deliver there you go that's good that is perfect yeah, that is and you perfect. don't want to make it biden centric right you want right. to make it as much as you can the brand of the party because that's what we're trying to fix right yeah. yeah yeah and i think i think there's so much more the democrats could do and now you know what i've got some more questions for you but before we get into that we're going to get right back to this conversation in a minute but first we're going to hear some words from stephanie miller well you've probably heard you should be eating more seafood ha i'm way ahead of the curve yay but maybe The seafood counter is too intimidating, or you aren't quite sure how to prepare it. That's why you need Wild Alaskan Company. The founder comes from a long line of Alaskan commercial fishermen, so they're experts in getting the highest quality, sustainably sourced seafood right to your plate. They believe that what you eat matters. As a member of the Wild Alaskan Company, you'll receive a variety of delicious, perfectly portioned, wild-caught seafood delivered right to your door. With access to their team of fishmongers for any questions, recipes, or cooking tips, they're so confident 
confident in the taste and quality of Alaska's seafood. They offer a 100% money-back guarantee. Change or pause your delivery date anytime. So easy. Right now, get $15 off your first box of wild-caught seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash Stephanie. That's wildalaskancompany.com slash Stephanie. 15 bucks off your first box. Wow. wildalaskancompany.com slash Stephanie. Okay, we're back. Um, yeah, so the Democrats definitely... Now, do you have any opportunity uh, to talk with any of these people who are in charge of Democratic messaging because somebody needs to talk to these people? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I watched November... I mean, election night was a mixed bag for me, yeah. right? I mean, I, you know, I put everything, I, I sacrificed my career, yeah. everything into beating Trump and, you know, um, holding the Republican Party electeds that yeah. were running in the Senate accountable for what they were doing to our democracy. Uh, I mean, I went balls to <laughs> And so, you know, but I, you know, I'm watching, so I'm watching election night and I know right away that Biden is good in Mm -hmm. the Midwest. The three states that I had said in my forecast, Mm -hmm. look, we're going to see a completely different voter coalition show up in the Midwest. And that's how I know 16 months back that when we get to the fall of 2020, we're not going to be really looking at Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania so much as we're going to be looking at Arizona, Mm -hmm. Georgia, Texas. And that's exactly what what we ended up doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So like early on election night, it was clear to me through the absentee balloting and all of that, that Biden was going to flip the Midwest and thus the Electoral College and that we were good. Mm-hmm. But it was also clear to me that the, that the two strategic blunders that I had been ranting about heading into the election for the down-ballot Democrats, which includes the Senate, the House, the state legislative races, had had manifested exactly in the worst way it possibly could. And right. the first strategic mistake is that they did not referendum like message the entire ticket right Mm -hmm. so biden runs against trump he you know lincoln project kind of shows how to do that i think pretty Mm -hmm. early and the biden team does a really good job of making it a choice like a referendum on trump which is the election that you win right Mm -hmm. and every republican election is run like that it's always a referendum on us right So, um, you know, so that happens. But on the down ballot, you would think like the theme would have been, you know, gross mismanagement of the pandemic and greed. Right. The Republicans are holding up the Heroes Act. We want to get you aid, Americans, but we can't because it's stuck in the Senate. Help us flip the Senate. (laughs) Right. Which is essentially what they eventually run in the Georgia runoff. Right. 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 Only after not flipping the Senate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it's. I and, and and on top of that, you know, after 2016, Hillary Clinton underperformed Latino voters, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was a product of two things: decline in turnout, but also with within that group, there is a much stronger persuasive ability, right? So yeah. like. Democrats are winning Latino votes 60-40, and in theory should be doing better, right? Maybe not 90-10 like they do with African-American voters, but they should be doing better. So there's a persuasive element there. And in 2016, both of them were not done well. So so I had assumed they'd build a a party-focused like infrastructure and put it in place and really focus on Latino vote. And they didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, so the full, full like um, circle with your question is no, I don't believe that the democratic parties electioneering infrastructure can make these transitions a without being shown how to do it by mm-hmm. somebody and b in time to preserve our congressional like the small chance we have of holding on to both chambers mm. in 2022. So that is why I'm building Strike Pack. Yeah. It's not a super PAC like Lincoln Project or Midas Touch, where it's about self-aggrandizement and you know, um, you know, getting a lot of attention. Uh, though certainly we need attention mm-hmm. on earned media. So we're going to be putting out some you know really intense ads and showing people this is how you take the entire way Democrats electioneer modernize. It and and run, you know, make every election about a, a referendum on the current Republican Party, mm-hmm. which is a hot mess. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> but voters <laughs> don't know that. 
Like many, many, many people have no idea what's going on in the Republican Party, right? So we need to tell them and define their brand on our terms, which is to say, take, you know, take it and destroy it, which is what my initiative will be to do. Oh, my God. I I I don't think that it can happen within the party. No, I know. Um, I saw you had I keep making the sigh every time. It's like, oh, okay. Um. Don't fall apart, Kimberly. Uh, Okay, I have a question here. And I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this, but, you know, uh, today there was a warrant out. Like, they're putting a warrant out for uh, an apartment that Rudy Giuliani owns. And I've talked to lawyers on this show who say, you know, there's this lawsuit that's against Trump in this state and in that state. And, you know, whether it's his taxes or having to do with the insurrection, whatever it is. Over these next couple of years, before both elections, there might be some very damaging info that's going to come out, not just about Trump, but about people in the Trump world and all these people that the Republicans are now putting on pedestals. And so do you think that might have an erosion or like will it will it hurt the Republicans in the elections or do you or do you stand by the idea that they're just like marching in lockstep and no matter what, they're going to vote for Republicans? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to hurt them in so far as it's not going to move partisan voters, and that includes right-leaning independents, mm-hmm. to not vote for the Republican Party, right? Yeah. So, like, I mean, at the end of the day, the best piece of, like, of really qualitative, obvious proof that I have of, of concept now is those Georgia runoffs, right? So, like, yeah. we're talking about Georgia. And it did not flip because they ran two white dudes who took blue dog positions and made themselves digestible to the other side, right? Mm-hmm. They ran a, a black guy and a Jewish guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> who ran as unabashed liberals, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. they took liberal positions and they made the election a referendum on Senate control. And, you know, you can't get there without Stacey Abrams, her mm-hmm. vision fair fight, the focus on on coalitional turnout on the ground there, two cycles of infrastructure to deploy it, because ultimately, Georgia flips because our side, our coalition, which includes those left leaners, mm-hmm. outvoted the other side's coalition, mm-hmm. right? And it's not a special case. Every single congressional district that's competitive, every state, if it's Arizona, Michigan, wherever, all of our modern elections come down to which side is going to outturn the other side, yeah. right? And so because of that, when you say, would it be helpful if these, um, you know, people, I, I mean, I will say this, like, I think that it's playing politics not to pursue these criminal cases, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, to, you know, so, so people will say, oh, you know, sh- we should just let them go because mm-hmm. we don't want to look like we're playing politics. Bullshit. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's the opposite. Yeah. Right. If you let him go, because that's playing politics, right? Yeah. The rule of law in America is the cornerstone other yes. than participation in, in elections of our democracy. Yeah. And we better defend it, right? Mm-hmm. So like regardless of the political considerations, those cases and you know, the Capitol Hill insurrection, the potential that, that goes into members of Congress, it all needs to be pursued to wherever it leads and zealously because of the way that the rule of law in the US was threatened for those four years, right? Yeah. Um, but it would absolutely help us because, number one, you really need that pure independent break to go in your favor. Mm-hmm. And that's you know what a midterm generally does is it makes a referendum about the incumbent party. Mm-hmm. If these stories are coming out, if Trump's getting indicted in Georgia for trying to commit election fraud, mm-hmm. those are going to keep that narrative focused on the Republican Party. Yeah. And with my operation, you know, also pushing that narrative, like it, that's the only pathway to a successful 2022 cycle is if it's a referendum on the GOP and not on us. Hmm. Yeah. And I want to talk to you about your pack in a second. Um, but I'm wondering, like, as far as like Arizona, do you see that s- staying in the on the Democratic side or do you think that that was an anomaly? So it's going to so it's going to depend on turnout. Right. Yeah. I mean, we know like and I've been arguing this since I put a, 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 a analysis out in the New Republic called hate is on the ballot and within it Mm -hmm. i show quantitatively how district 
compositions changed from 2014 to 2018, right? So it's not just that turnout went up 20 points, right? That's great. But who showed up, right? It matters a lot. Because today, a person like me who does political analysis, political behavior expert, can tell you, you know, based on someone's demographics, are they a college-educated white female, right? Mm -hmm. Or a Latino or an African-American, or are they in this region or that? Who, which party they're going to vote for? And once I suss that out, then I'm I nine out of ten times know who this person's going to cast a ballot for hmm. at every level of office in which that party heuristic is on the ballot, right? Yeah. So like Arizona is going to come down to whether or not we see the same composition hmm. of young people, right. of minority voters, of college educated voters showing up to cast ballots. And if you don't make that happen, if that's not your modus operandi and the first focus of any campaign organization. Um, then no, I mean, definitely they, it can swing back because Arizona, uh, I mean, which is really frustrating, by the way, because even with their improved performance in mm -hmm. 2018, 2020, mm -hmm. they're still underperforming, especially at the congressional district level in Arizona. Yeah. Then that's, and that's purely campaign technique, strategy, implementation. Yeah. And what about Texas? Because now they're getting two more seats. And I, we've already discussed the gerrymandering thing, but does that change? Because everybody was like, oh, Texas is within reach now. Beta almost won, and you know the, they were coming a lot closer in the general election. So does this new census and these two new seats mean, no, forget it, we're not, we don't have a chance now? Yeah, and I'll tell you this. Like there, I mean, it, the suspension of the Democratic Party from the Biden campaign all the way down to the state legislative races, they suspended field, okay, with the pandemic. And they never reimplemented. Wow. <laughs> Which is just mind-blowing. I mean, listeners, I understand, right? Yeah. Morally, you do not want to knock doors in a pandemic. Exactly. But when your opponent is doing it and yeah. you have an election to win, that is your only hope of survival. So when we look at de democratic uh, and I'm modeling this now quantitatively like underperformance in mm -hmm. the house especially but in the senate too but in the house and these state legislative races like there i said they made two strategic mistakes that referendum not doing that referendum mm -hmm. frame but also suspension of field unilateral disarmament mm -hmm. and i in texas especially that just killed them i mean yeah. they, those elections don't even pop like close to toppling um, in many of those districts um the republicans right they yeah. ended up underperforming five six points because they don't they didn't knock doors dude. right <laughs> like, it's the one thing like in political science quantitative modeling like you want to say okay well, how does phone calls work or how yeah. about tv ads do they increase turnout da, mm -hmm. da, da. do they persuade voters and the one effect that is like measurably statistically significant is voter face-to-face -face contact at doors that's why in the last 10 years you've seen all of this focus on door knocking right yeah. from both parties and to have you suspend that completely and the other side continue mm -hmm. it is just absolute suicide electoral yeah. suicide well then wouldn't that give us some hope then even though there yeah, might it be does. i mean okay. but here's the thing so to answer your question this is what the texas gop is i mean this we're talking about a guy, Greg Abbott, and yeah. his coalition there. I mean, it's it's a party, state party run by Alan West. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's putting out, like, QAnon, like, shout-outs right. in the party's official communication. So, yeah. like, uh, you know, they're getting rid now of voting in, in the urban areas. So, like, you know, the most pernicious parts of these suppression laws, you know, it's easy to look at the water stuff or even, like, the elimination of absentee balloting or the curtailing of that. Those things matter, guys. But mm -hmm. the main reason is on the other side, they're trimming access on same day, on election day voting, right? Yeah. And they're taking polling places and precincts and decreasing their capacity in urban and suburban mm -hmm. places where Democrats performed well. And so, like, they're doing it on both ends. They're getting rid of those early voting remote voting options to force more people to vote election day, and they're going to make it. 10 times harder to cast mm -hmm. that ballot on election day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and so, um, you know, between the gerrymandering, you know, they're, and they're, they're going to be ruthless down there. I mean, of Austin, course, yeah. if anyone's familiar with 
Texas's 2010 redistricting, you'll know it was one of the most contentious in the nation. Wow. And it went litigated and da-da-da-da-da. But it's still, like, at the end of the day, but they took the city of Austin, which is, of course, you know, I think Samantha B on The Daily Show called it the the uh, blueberry in, Tex- in cherry red Texas, right? right Tomato right, red yeah. Texas. So they took Austin, the state capital, which is a Democratic city, and I mean, very liberal. Mm-hmm. And they cut it into five different congressional districts. Wow. <laughs> it's the only major, until the 2020 redistricting, mark my words, the only major city in the whole U.S. that doesn't have what we call an anchor district that mm-hmm. composes like a pretty good circular geographic part of the population. And um, my guess is the GOP is going to take Houston and Dallas, which are not, by the way, congruent right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're pretty carved already, but they are going to Austin, all of the major cities. And they're going to yeah. do that in Florida, and they're going to do mm-hmm. it everywhere they can. I mean, yeah. to me, like, they could, unless we do something reciprocated, probably gerrymander themselves a 10-seat game. Jeez. Well, that's not – but okay, so let's get to something a little more positive, which is your <laughs> foundation strike pack. And so – I want you to, this will be the last thing we talk about, but I want you to tell us, I mean, you've already talked about it a little bit, but give us, you know, how it came to be and how can people participate? How can somebody listening, how can they help? What can we do? Yeah, so Strike Pack is, again, it's a, it's designed as a, on the left, right, as a super pack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why is it designed that way? Because you can take money from anywhere and you can spend it on anything. Okay. okay. <laughs> and we're in a war, right? So right, it's a exactly. Super PAC. Um, but it's not going to be run like a super PAC. Uh, number one, I, I co-founded this with two other women that I met through the 2020 cycle working against Trump. Uh, they're both Democrats um, in, in California. Uh, one's a marketing and branding expert. One's a, you know just a genius at, at policy and um, you know infrastructure building and. And uh, we're running it basically like in, administratively like a nonprofit, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like the goal will be, you know, the three of us will draw a salary. We're not going to have consultancies that will be, you know, getting donor money back in both directions mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. some other super PACs yes. have been known to do. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, you know, I'm not going to go get a vanity office in Washington, D.C. on donor yeah. money either, right? I'm not <laughs> like, I don't need a vanity office at $2 million. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to build an infrastructure so it's not just it's not just ads though it adds obviously we're talking about reforming messaging yeah so how do you deliver messages predominantly it's going to be ads though it's going to be very very focused on deploying strategically in the way that the republicans did in 2020 digital Right. Right, right. So like not just the scope, the amount that gets spent on digital, but how we're using Mm -hmm. it. Right. And really micro micro targeting off of digital. Um, But it's also about, you know, working with other organizations that are knocking doors Mm -hmm. because, you know, the most I just told you, the most important thing that happens is that voter face to face. Right. But if you're going there and you don't have a good message, you don't have a compelling message that's going to make our lower propensity voters who are now feeling comfortable because Trump has been vanquished and they don't follow the rest of the shit. They don't watch the news like we do. So they aren't worried right now. There, there's a good chunk yeah. of our coalition from 2020 who feels placated right yes, now. Yes, exactly. And yeah. we have got to make them uncomfortable. Right. right? <laughs> so like Strike Pack <laughs> is, is, is a war machine, right? It's about building, you know, I mean, people have often said, oh, we go to, we fight the Republicans with a knife and they have guns. Well, I can tell you this. Now the Republicans have a tank. Okay. Right. And we cannot show up with a knife yeah. or a gun. We need a tank. Right. <laughs> and and uh, there's not a lot of people on the left cut out to run something that can be ruthless and mm-hmm. mean. Um, you know, and you can't run that way. And you know, you can't prioritize everything equally, right? right. So, uh, so I make no bones about this, and I'll never apologize. Yeah. Strike Pack's priority is to win shit. Right. Bottom line, maximize as many seats as we can so that we can put policy through Congress. Okay. Mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. if you're a progressive and you're disappointed by Obama, if you're disappointed by Biden and what he'll be able to get done, I'll tell you what, it's not a king system. It's a separation of power system. Uh And we have a Senate problem. Absolutely. The only way to overcome that is to cure 
are systemic mm-hmm. cycle to cycle underperformance because there are more of us than there are of them. Yeah. But they vote better, right? Exactly. And it's not God, an accident. Yes. It's not because of genetics. Right. It's not because of demographics, especially now that college educated voters are realigning to the left. Yeah. It's about strategy mm-hmm. and tactics. Yes. Right? So we're going to modernize those strategy and tactics and hopefully lead by example yeah. so that as we move forward to 2024, the you know Biden campaign picks up stuff we're doing. Okay. Um, these yeah. Senate and House candidates feel more comfortable nationalizing their races, right. m- making it a referendum on their opponent. Uh, Jamie Harrison, you know, he ran in South mm-hmm. Carolina. Mm-hmm. He's the head of the DNC. He's the right guy for that job, but it's yeah. a bureaucracy and it's hard to reform. He's right. making important changes there, but um, you know, he's he's one man and he can't do mm-hmm. it all. And he's certainly it's certainly hard to reform this institution from the inside. Yeah. So we believe, you know, by building this alternative infrastructure that will um, basically run a wingman, mm-hmm. um, you know, electioneering strategy next to what the Democrats run, we can we can push the party towards reform a lot more effectively. Wow. And then are you are do you have anything to do with or at least in, you know, touch with Stacey Abrams or other other people who are doing kind of similar things, getting the vote out, organizing? Are you guys all working together or separately? Well, you know, I, I've never actually had a person-to-person conversation yet with Stacey Abrams, mm-hmm. though I certainly want to. And, yeah. and you know, uh, Fair Fight, uh, you know, when I, when I debuted my theory in 2018, I said, you know, here's my theory of how elections work in the polarized era. Mm-hmm. And by the way, there's these two Democratic candidates. One of them, you know, you'll be shocked to find out is, is going to make Texas competitive. Texas, not Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Texas will be competitive in 2018, not Tennessee. <laughs> and number two, the other one's down in Georgia, and her name's Stacey Abrams, hmm. and she really really into the spirit of what I'm arguing here, which is that if you want to win elections, you've got to outvote the other side. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so like she was mechanically or applied wise putting into place the, the targeting element of what I talk about. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, I mean, I know for a fact that, you know, fair fight wants to, 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 uh, is, 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 um, you know, moving their model out. They played a really important role in influencing as, uh, I think, as well as, as you know, some of my theories that Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, those state parties up there, ran their own field operations mm-hmm. when the party suspended field. And I feel in my heart of hearts that if they had not done that, that we would not have won. And I know that Stacy's uh, organization helped model, you know, some mm-hmm. of that targeting that they did because it was not focused on knocking on independent doors. It was focused on getting the vote out in yeah. Detroit, in Milwaukee, in Philly, in Pittsburgh. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's the difference maker. So, yeah. um, you know, I hope to one day work with Stacy. I would love to help fair fight, um, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, modify some of the um, messaging that happens in that, mm-hmm. but um, I have not yet met her yet. So I, I'm really excited about that possibility. But uh, you know, to answer your question, Strike Pack is coming into its formal launch here in a few weeks. Okay. Uh, right now we're amassing kind of like our launch. I, I guess what I'd call our launch packet, right? Mm-hmm. And we have some great partners. Um, we're get you know I can't make any name dropping right. announcements <laughs> yet, but we have some great support from um you know really important people that (laughs) that people are going to be excited about so um but it's it's really hard i I tell my twitter feed all the time like i want to tell you what just happened (laughs) (laughs) because i have a plan you know right i I can't tell people hey listen you know i've got this like strategic mind and then like you know kind of you know, fail to deliver on this, on this big, like coming out party. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm strategically holding information back in other words. <laughs> right. Well, that's understandable and that's exciting. And it, it's like, I think that's actually a good thing because it keeps people hanging on and wanting more. And I mean, now people, is it strikepack.com? Yes, it is. It's strikepack, I believe.com. And, um, you know, if you just Google strikepack, it should come up. Um, it's you know pac yes <laughs> <Yeah>. right and now <laughs> do you no, now you accept trying to hide what we're doing here right? <laughs> <laughs> and you accept donations i assume yeah we can accept a, a donation ranging from one dollar to one million dollars right. and would be happy to get that um, <laughs> of course you know, because every dollar that we have it, i mean we're, our goal is to you know um 
to do something that no no super PAC structure has ever done. Yeah. Spend like an obnoxious amount percent rise on actual electioneering, right? Uh, and and we do that, of course, by not running a consultancy backdoored through the PAC and, you know, not wasting uh, money on TV advertising unless it's appropriate because there's a lot of places where money is getting spent inappropriately. So like our, you know, we're, we're reforming every aspect yeah. of electioneering from the messaging to the branding effort to the tactics that are deployed um, the targeting, the modeling of where we should be spending money and where, you know, my forecasting work is uh, being used for that. And it, it shows us exactly where we should be investing and that we're not, where you need to invest more uh, to avoid losing 12 seats that you didn't need to lose in a cycle like 2020. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a lot of innovation happening um, across the board within it. But our goal is to, to really um, show the left, like, this is how, this is how we win the future and hold it permanently. Wow. And I, I just have to say that it is women who are taking this lead and kicking such ass. So first of all, thank you for creating this and obviously for what you do. And I'm really excited about it. And hopefully, even though some of the things that you've been talking about have made me want to go like <laughs> cry, <laughs> you know, it's like, no, I don't want to think about because, you know, I have people on the show and a lot of times they're like, yeah, I'm really feeling good about 2022 and I'm really feeling good about 2024 and I'm just not right now. And so oh, yeah, I, I think that it's, <laughs> I think that it's better to not live in fear, but you know, as you said, if you feel people are less motivated to do anything like to vote or anything, if they're comfortable. So yep. people have to remain uncomfortable. And, and frankly, I'm extremely uncomfortable. I'm great. I, I'm with you. I think Biden is kicking major ass. He, he's doing better than I ever expected. And I mean, I'm not the only one. A lot of us are like, wow, you know, he's really impressive. And um, I, I feel like, you know, there is something to be hopeful for. But at the same time, uh, we are, it's only going to be it's only a hopeful thing if everybody stays engaged. And I'm you know, I, I kind of think that perhaps these last four years or the five years, whatever, with Trump, there was enough trauma and PTSD and then what we're watching unfold every day in the news, especially with police officers and um, the racism and all of that, I'm hoping that the communities of color are hyper aware. And I know what I know what you said. A lot of people are not paying attention, and I think that's typical and sad and obvious. But I think just like with Trump, some of these horrible things that happened made more people pay attention. And so maybe with these lawsuits that are coming out, maybe with the attention being put on law enforcement and, and what needs to be fixed, I'm hopeful, but I'm especially hopeful because people like you and Stacey Abrams are just deciding to get shit done. And I really appreciate it. So I just, I just personally, I want to say thank you. And I, I love listening to your, reading your work, listening to you following your Twitter. You're hilarious on Twitter. <laughs> and so it's just so much fun. But um, is there anything you want to add before you go? Yeah, I mean, you know, Stacey Abrams is my get shit done hero. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a major inspiration to me to, to take this plunge, which, you know, which yeah. was deeply scary for me financially. I'm yeah, a, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I will just say, and, and uh, you know, a real gamble, but I'm convinced, I am 100% convinced that we cannot rely on luck, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and this <laughs> idea that just because Biden's doing great will be fine, mm -hmm. that is, it's, no. it's totally flies in the face of what the quantitative data shows us in this polarized era, which mm -hmm. is unequivocally, Republicans are voting for whoever the hell that nominee is. Okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be um, them and their right-leaning coalition versus us and our left-leaning coalition. Mm -hmm. And we'll be onto the party that doesn't emphasize that coalitional turnout. God, you're so right. It's so right. You're 100% you're right. So, yeah. Oh, my God. We've got a lot of work to do, but, you know, I'm sure hopefully one day you'll be back on the show and you'll be able to tell us all the things that you can't tell us right now and yeah, <laughs> share, <great>. share more <laughs> good news. Yeah, <laughs> but, I'm real excited about the launch, though, and, and yeah. uh, you know, I urge people, like, the, especially thanking, the thankful to the people who have seeded this early money for us to be. Yeah, I mean, it costs, right. you guys would be shocked. It costs like $15,000 just to, like, register wow. a super PAC. Okay. Wow. 
Like, I mean, that blew my mind, and yeah. I could not have done any of this without my two partners, who are also women. So it's mm-hmm. a three-woman, yes. you know, effort. None of us come from the consulting world. None of us are, you know, um, you know, we're we're all you know, kind of like uh, entrepreneuring. Right, right, yeah. Like this <laughs> idea that we can build and deploy a war machine. And, uh, wow. you know, I've got I've got so much excitement about what we're going to be able to show people. Well, I'll be helping you. And feel free to message me with any, you know, messaging that you want to get out there. I'll help you ampl- amplify it. Um, all right. So once again, thank you for being on the show. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Oh, uh, yeah, you should follow me on Twitter, um, at Rachel Dittekoffer. I also have a Substack that um, is a pod mostly. I do put out some written stuff here and there, um, but it's uh, called The Cycle uh, on Substack, and you can, um, you know, listen free or you can subscribe and help support my uh, big career transition. <laughs> it's always appreciated, but the main uh, support I need from people is to tell other people yeah. about Strike Pack and about me and about, you know, what we need to do to save this democracy because we have to control all branches of government or they may not certify the damn election, you know? I know. Yeah. Wow. All right. So then I'm going to put your uh, Twitter handle in the Patreon description of the show. And then, of course, you can follow me at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget that extra E at the end of my name. And you can find my books on Amazon. Once again, Rachel, thank you so much for being on the show. I I respect what you do and I'm grateful for it. Well, great pleasure, and and I'm really glad to have spent some time with you. Well, thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.